Well, uh, for those of you who don't know me, like Andy and Ronwin, because we go back to like four seconds ago, um, <laughs> my name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here at Cascade, and um, really glad that you guys could be here tonight. I was asked to share with you guys about evangelism, and um, I'm not going to give you a, a sermon on evangelism, okay? I want us tonight to talk about what evangelism is. And then I want to equip you to be able to actually share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around you. And so I'm going to do that, I think, in a way that hopefully will be something that you guys can easily pick up and then pass on to other people. Because that's actually what evangelism is about. But before I do that, I want to talk to you about sometimes uh, right now in our world, there's a big conversation around whether or not Christians should share their faith at all. Um, I don't know about you, but like it used to be uh, growing up that um, your faith was supposed to be kind of your private, personal faith that really is only something that's for you and your individual self and your family. And that wasn't supposed to be something that you share with others. Um, But I think that what we find is actually if we read scripture, that's a really hard viewpoint to justify. Um, And we're going to look at some verses tonight that talk about exactly why that is. But beyond that, though, our culture kind of has this postmodern mindset that really says, like, your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth. And you should not push your truth on me because my truth is my truth and your truth is your truth. And so how can you evangelize? Why would you try and evangelize me if that's actually pushing your truth and your beliefs on me? You shouldn't be doing that in the first place. Has anybody ever run into that? Ever heard that idea? Yeah, okay. Um, The thing with that, though, is um, it comes from a really faulty line of reasoning. Because if there is something that is objectively true, that means it's true for everybody everywhere at all times. And the Christian belief is what we call an absolutist point of view, an absolute view of truth, meaning that the claim that the Bible makes, that God makes about himself in the Bible, that we believe is that this word, the Bible, is absolutely true for everywhere, for everyone, and for at all times. And so if that's actually true, then what is our obligation with that? Can that actually stand up to challenge and reason and argumentation? Do we actually have a leg to stand on for that? You know, one of my favorite Uh, Quotes I heard a friend say years ago, he said, it's hard to speak the truth in love, like Christians were called to speak the truth in love, right? It's hard to speak the truth in love unless you believe the truth is really loving. In other words, if you believe that the truth about who God is, about who Jesus is, and the claims that he made is true, then sharing that is the most loving thing that we can do, right? If the worldview espoused by the Bible is actually true, then sharing that is the most loving thing we can do. And pretending like it's not true would be the opposite of loving. And so uh, for me, I had to go through a process. I don't know how many of you guys kind of grew up going to church or kind of grew up with a family that believed in God and you were kind of raised in that. Okay, most of us did. I don't know about you guys, but I went most of my life just kind of knowing that God was real thinking uh, the Bible was God's word, but I never really examined it to see, well, is it actually true? Like, is there 
good reasons to believe that God exists and that the Bible is actually God's word. And so it wasn't until later on in my faith that I actually started really digging into uh, these questions. And what I found was actually there's really good reasons for believing that God actually exists and that believing that the Bible is actually the inspired word of God. And if that's true, then what does that mean for my life? So uh, I've heard said that everybody, all Christians, should have at least five reasons why they think God exists. If I asked you right now to tell me five reasons why you know God exists, how many of you guys feel like you don't have to raise your hand? How many of you feel like, oh yeah, I could do that right now. I could tell you those five reasons. So you're all kind of like searching, like, I don't know if I could do that. Right? Because for the longest time, I don't know, for me, I fell back on, oh, it's just my experience. Like my experience alone tells me that God is real. And there's some validity to that. But then what's to say the next person who has an opposite experience isn't just as real as your experience, right? That becomes a subjective opinion. So for me, it actually took studying to see, does it actually make sense that God exists and that the Bible is actually his word? And so for me, I'll share a few of the reasons why I think that God exists. And I'm not going to go into these depth because it's not really what I'm doing tonight. But for me, I know that God is real because for me, uh, one of the main arguments I go back to is what's called the cosmological argument. Does anybody know what the cosmological argument is or have heard of that? Okay, a few of you guys. Look at you guys. Some apologetics fans in here, right? The cosmological argument has to do with the beginning. And basically, it starts with the idea that whatever begins to exist has a cause, right? It's, it goes back to this logical idea that something cannot come from nothing, right? Something has to generate something in order for something to happen, right? And what we know is that our universe didn't always exist. If you look at any cosmological scientist argumentation from the world today, they all say the universe really had a beginning. And so what was the beginning of that? And what was the cause of that? And when you start to look at all the properties of what that looks like, a personal God is the only one that makes the most sense there. So that's one argument. For me, the other one is the fine-tuning argument for God's existence, right? Like, you guys have heard of this. When you start looking at the universe, you see that um, there are these anthropic principles, which refer to things that are required for human beings to live, right? There's over 122 of them. There's actually, they're finding more and more that where these things had to be exactly just right in order for life to exist on our planet. And they are all so finely tuned that if you move them just any tiny little bit way, then there's no universe, there's no life in that universe, right? And so there's all these things that are so amazingly uh, there that are designed just for us. And so you can ask the question, well, how did that happen? And we go through that argumentation. But for me, the fine-tuning is, is one that says there has to be a uh, cause behind all of that fine-tuning. The other one is the design argument or the teolog teleological argument, which is like the watchmaker argument. Have you guys ever heard of the watchmaker argument? Right? Like if you were walking uh, on the beach and you find this beautiful watch in the sand, when you pick it up, would, how many of you guys would think, oh, this just randomly happened by chance? Like, none of you, right? Nobody would be like, oh, yeah, that, that just happened. But essentially, a lot of people look at our universe and how complex things are and just say, oh, that just randomly happened. Like, if Carter woke up tomorrow and he came downstairs and 
in his alphabet soup because he ate it for breakfast instead of lunch. I don't know why you would do that, but he had alphabet soup and he walked in, opened his alphabet soup, poured it out, and there's like this spelling in his bowl that said, tomorrow morning, Benjamin Netanyahu is going to be reelected the prime minister of Israel on this date and such and such is going to happen. How many of you guys would think, oh, that just randomly occurred there, right? Like the alphabet soup just randomly formed this thing that correlates to reality. Well, when we look at our cells and our DNA, the amount of information that's in there is way more complex than that sentence about Benjamin Netanyahu, right? And yet we see that design level in creation all over. And so when you start looking at design and creation and what the world around us, we say, gosh, something had to create that. Like information always comes from a mind. So that, for me, is one of those other reasons why I think, man, there's got to be something behind this. Objective morality uh, is another one. That if God doesn't exist, objective moral values and duties don't exist. But we all know that there are some things that we know are always right or always wrong, right? Like, everybody in here would say it's wrong to torture and kill babies, right? Would anybody here think that you could logically stand and say that's going to be an okay position for me to hold? Yeah, nobody's going to say that, right? We all would say, okay, uh, we know that's true. So if there's even just one thing that everybody on the planet could agree is objectively true, then there has to be a lawgiver for that to be real. And so when we think about what does that lawgiver look like, it looks like what we would call God, right? And so for me, these are just a few of the arguments that I think about all the time that say there has to be a God behind the universe that we Right? And so if there's a God, then what does he look like? And then we start going to, well, what do we know about Scripture? Can we find evidence that supports Scripture? And the evidence for the reliability of Scripture is so overwhelming. It's crazy. Did you know that, like, if you stacked up all the copies of the manuscript evidence for the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, if you stacked all those paper, and they're not all paper because they're made in different things, right? But all of those pieces of paper together it would equal the height of 23 Seattle Space Needles of just Bible evidence of, like, passages. Isn't that crazy? No other ancient book has anything compared to that, right? And there's tons of other things. So when I start looking at these things, I'm like, yeah, God exists, and there's good evidence for me to trust this. So if that's the case, if it's true that God exists, and there's a lot more arguments there, and it's true that the Bible is reliable— then I have a choice to make. How do I choose to live my life? Do I choose to live my life in light of that knowledge, or do I choose to live my life in rejection of that? And what we're talking about tonight is that if you've chosen to live your life in light of that knowledge, in light of the reality that God does exist and that the Bible is his word, then what is our responsibility to do with that? And the call, I think what we're going to see, is to evangelize. Here's the problem. 98% of Christians do not regularly share their faith at all. And worse than that, 95% of Christians will never lead another person to faith in Jesus Christ in their lifetime. 95% of the people. And so if we are going to continue to reproduce in the way that we're about to look at, Jesus has called us to, some things have to change, and we have to get really practical about how we do that. And so tonight, I'm going to need a lot of participation from you guys. And so if you have your Bibles, make sure you grab them, open them. I'm going to ask you guys to read a little bit. If so if you're willing to do that, do that. Grab your Bible app if you don't have that uh, open already. 
And then I'm going to ask, we're going to take some papers, and I'm going to hand, everybody needs to grab a sheet of paper here and a pen. So if you don't have a pen, I'm going to pass a handful to each side of the room here. And then pass them. Take one, pass it down if you need it. Take one, pass it down. Okay. All right, once you get that piece of paper, here's what you need to do with it, okay? And you're gonna be writing on your lap tonight or on your neighbor's back or on your Bible if you don't do that. So hopefully you have a good neighbor that'll let you write on their back. So okay, if this is your piece of paper, right, like this, we're gonna fold it like this. Is this hot dog style? Hamburger, right? The other way is hot dog and banana. What's the other way is hot dog? You never heard the banana one? All right. So you're going to fold it like a hamburger, apparently, so in half. So you have it like this, okay? So you want, you want it to make it look like a card, okay? So pretend this is now one of those $8.99 American greeting cards that you get at the store because it's now just as expensive to buy a card as it is to buy a gift almost. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right, once we do that, I need somebody. What I'm going to do is you guys are going to be writing on these sheets of paper essentially what I write on the whiteboard tonight, okay? Um, so what I want you to do is to number your pages. The first one's going to be a one, and it's going to be one with a circle right at the top left of your page, okay, on the outside corner. Everybody got that? Courtney's still folding like hamburger over there? Yeah, not right. Okay, okay, that's fine. So you're going to be a one, and then it's going to be a two on this side, on the inside corner, and then a three over here, and then a four. Yep. All right. Once you've done that, on the top of that first page, right next to that number, Matt. 28, 18 through 20, okay? And what I need is two people to volunteer to read this passage for us. So if you're going to read, I'm going to ask you to stand up and read the passage, okay? So anybody willing to stand up and read that passage? Okay, Christian. Okay. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Go ahead and read it. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to keep all that I commanded you, and behold, I will be always, even to the end of the age. Is anybody on this side of the room? willing to read that passage as well. Okay, Kate, thank you. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Thank you. Okay, anybody know what this passage is called? The Great Commission. 
The Great Commission. All right. So underneath Matt, go ahead and write Jesus. Okay. Jesus is the one that's speaking. And he says, go. I'm going to put some dots. Make disciples. Okay. So write that and then draw a line under that. We're going to go underneath that. Okay. All right. What I want you to notice, and we're going to fly tonight, because normally you get an hour to do this, this and I'm not going to take a full hour to do this whole thing. But what I want you to notice is, does he say, hey, hey guys, here's a nice idea. What if you guys told um, some other people about me? Did he say, hey, possible suggestion here? Um, go, go tell people about me. No, what does he say? He says, go. It is a command, right? So it's a command, and it is for all followers of Jesus to go and make disciples, right? Okay, so we're going to talk about why this is, and what we're going to do is we're going to answer uh, four different questions for us tonight. So the first question we're going to answer is why, okay? We're going to answer the question, why should I go and make disciples? And the reason is we're going to talk about is that this directly relates to our identity as followers of Jesus. So next to the word why, I want you to write the word identity. Okay? And what I'm going to do, just so you, anybody that's panicking, like how big do I write this? I need to know my space things. Okay. Uh, this will be approximately your page. All right. So we're going to have information that goes down a little bit. So write approximately proportionally to this scale. Does that make sense? If anybody like really screwed up and like wrote identity all the way across the page, there's more papers in the back. Probably we could get you. Okay. All right. So what we want to look at is that part of who we are in our identity is related to this command to follow Jesus. And where do we see that? We see this in Paul's letter in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 21. Okay? And to save some time tonight, I'm going to read that passage to you guys. All right? So here's what Paul says to us. He says... Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. In verse 20, therefore we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Therefore we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Okay? So what we see is that in this passage is that if we have repented from our sins and chosen to follow Jesus, we are new creations in Christ Jesus. So there's two things that have happened. Now we're going to do a cross here, okay, it's going to represent Jesus, and there's two things that have happened. The first thing is in verse 17, we see that we are new, okay? The old has passed away, the new has come, and so 
You guys can draw a little stick figure of yourself here with a little smile on your face, and then you can be glowing because you're all new in Jesus, okay? So go ahead and draw that approximately right there. So when we choose to follow Jesus, what happens? We're forgiven of our sins, right? All of our sin is washed away, right? Our sin is not counted towards us. We are made right with Jesus. We are made new. But often in our churches, that's, that's what we talk about. We're like, by the way, you're new. Now go live your life, right? Be new. But what we miss is the second part that really speaks to our identity in verse 20 right here. Which says that now, this is verse 20. You're going to have to read my handwriting all night, so I apologize. But we are now ambassadors. Okay. And then I'm going to try and draw a globe. If you could draw a better one, do it. Okay. I'm glad I didn't design here because it would be really funky if this was the shape of the earth here. I don't think we have good axis rotation or anything like that. Okay, so this is the globe, right? We are called to be Jesus' ambassadors, right? What's an ambassador? Does anybody know? A representative, right? Somebody that goes forth from the message sender with a message to another group, right? So God has given us the role to be his ambassadors, take the message of the gospel to those around us, right? And so we are called to go and be God's ambassadors. And what I love, this passage, which is just crazy, right? It says, God is making his appeal through us. Is that humbling to people? It's like, for me, to think that, like, God said, hey, John, um, I want you to be the one who goes and represents me, this perfect, holy, all-powerful God, to the people around you. And I'm like, um, not worthy, not good enough, not well enough prepared, Uh, Like, all these reasons why I shouldn't be able to do that. But God is saying, I got this. I want you to still go and do this. Okay? It just blows my mind that this is part of God's design. So, but that is the call that we have been given. And it's been given to us for a reason. Okay, so now I'm going to ask you to flip your page over. We're going to go to page two. So at the top of page two, you're going to have a little number, right? And what we're going to ask about is now, who should we go tell? Okay, if we're called to be God's ambassadors, Jesus' ambassadors, who should we go tell about Jesus? And so what we're going to do is we're going to create something here called our oikos, or oikos map. Anybody in here speak Greek? Anybody? No? Okay, so we, we could all say it's all Greek to me, which means we don't understand, right? Okay, thank you, Thomas, for the fake almost laugh here in the front row. I appreciate that. Uh, oikos is simply the Greek word for household, okay? And what this means is essentially we want to think about the people in our lives who are close to us. So we're right close to us but far from God. Okay? So what we think about is who in our lives needs to hear about Jesus and who can we start thinking about 
that we could be thinking about sharing the gospel with. So what we're going to do is in the middle of your page, I want you to write your name. I'm writing my name. And then put a circle around it. Okay. And then what I want us to do, we're going to spend like one minute doing this. What I'm going to ask you to do is to think of three or four names of people that are close to you but are far from God. And so think about your family, think about your neighbors, think about people you work with, people you go to school with, maybe you have a hobby that you're really into, maybe it's somebody on that co-ed volleyball team that you play with or whatever. Um, Who is it that you know that is close to you but far from God? And I want you to draw with a little bit more space around them. So like I'm gonna put my neighbor Steven, okay? And I'm going to put a circle around it. So spend about a minute thinking of three to four names. And if you need to, you can pray and ask God, who would, who would you have me put in that spot? So for me, the people that God brought to mind and that I am thinking about is my neighbor, Stephen, who doesn't know Jesus, my neighbor, Gary, uh, my other neighbor, Mike, and our friend, Dave. Okay. So those are people that I'm thinking about that are close to me, that I have some level of relationship with, but that are far from God. Because often when we think about evangelism, We don't often think about the people that are right by us, that God has put us in our sphere of influence to be able to have an impact in their life. And this is a way for us to practically think about that. So does anybody have their Bible open that could read John chapter 17, verse 20? And while we're going there, this is in the passage of Jesus is praying for the disciples and he's praying for them for the future And he says something really important. Yeah, can you read it? Jesus says, I do not ask only for these, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. And what we actually see here is Jesus is praying for his disciples and those who would come to faith through those disciples, and those who would come to faith through those disciples, and those who would come to faith through those disciples. Jesus is thinking generationally here, and so we too should be thinking generationally. So what I want us to do is think about who is connected to the people that you put your names around. Okay? So for me, I'll give you an example. Stephen is married to Amy. Okay? And they have a son named Cam. They also have a son named Cruz. And they have a son named Dom. Okay? And 
And Dom has a son named Israel. Which is an awesome name, by the way. Right, Israel? Yeah. An awesome name. Okay, uh, and then Gary has a daughter named Zora. Okay. So what I want you to do is try and think of the people that are in relationship with the people that you pray for. And maybe you don't know. Maybe yours is like, okay, I know Dave, and Dave goes to school at Cascadia. And then you can put Cascadia University campus right here, okay? So put the next generation up from those people on your circle to take just a 30 seconds to do. just about seven minutes, I've now listed one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen people in my life that need to know Jesus. Do you know that in the city of Monroe, when we look at average church attendance and patterns, if you added all the attendance of all the churches up combined, there's probably 85 to 90 percent of the people in Monroe that have, and that's Monroe City Limits. So how many of you guys live outside Monroe City Limits? Whole bunch of us, right? Okay, outside of city limits, so 85 to 95% of just in city limits don't have any regular contact with Jesus. That means the majority of people, the vast majority of people that you are gonna come in contact with, that I'm gonna come in contact with in Monroe, at Fred Meyer, wherever you are, in Snohomish, anywhere, don't have relationship with Jesus and need somebody to tell them about Jesus. And so if all of us start thinking about who's on my Oikos map that I can start to tell about Jesus, what kind of a difference could we make? So we're going to move on from this who and start talking about the what. So I'm going to erase this here and we're going to move to the next page. So at the top of your page that says number three on it, go ahead and write the word what. So you're like, okay, great, John. Uh, I got a whole bunch of people that I can start thinking about that need Jesus. What do I tell them? Like, what do, what do I actually say? Like a few weeks ago at church on Sunday, Pastor Michael here was talking about could we all share the gospel? Are we equipped to be able to do that? If I asked you tonight, and if I had more time, I would tell you, okay, we're going to practice you sharing the gospel right here. But uh, I'm not going to put you through that yet. But I want to give you two tools that you can use that will allow you to be able to start having gospel conversations with people by the end of the time that we're together tonight. Okay? So the first one is our 15-second testimony. Your testimony is just a simple way to share your story. It's just you talking about yourself and what God has done in your life.
So we want to be able to do that in a really simple, simple way. Okay. So what we want to do in a 15 second testimony is we want to have an introduction. Okay. And this is essentially your life before Jesus. Okay. So I'm going to put a cross in the center here. And I'm going to put an arrow this way. Okay. The introduction is your life before you met Jesus or before you really started to follow Jesus. And then after Jesus, this is your life afterwards. And then we're going to end with a mask. Okay? And what this looks like is really simple. Um, we're going to invite people to share their story after you've shared your story. And so the easy way to think about doing this is to say, I'm going to write this here. We're going to have a second line under here. So just draw that. Don't draw that line yet, but um, we're going to write. I know. Everybody's like, wait, I'm following all the directions. You can't do that to me. <laughs> there was a time in my life. Okay? <laughs> dot, dot, dot. What we're going to do is come up with two words. Okay? Your 15-second testimony can talk about there was a time in my life when Something was happening, okay? And then you came to faith in Jesus, and then what happened? There's two other words. And then we're going to ask up above this, do you have a story like that? What we know is true about most people even people who are like, I'm really shy, I don't want to talk. When you ask them questions about themselves and you start to share openly about yourself, most people will open up to you. And so what this can look like, and what I would say like in my life, is there was a time in my life where I felt really stuck. Okay? And I was stuck in my sin and the things that I was doing, and that led to depression. because it's only 15 seconds and I'm not telling you everything that happened in here, then when I came to faith in Jesus and what I found was forgiveness, and don't write these words because this is my story, not your story, and freedom. Okay? There was a time in my life where I was really stuck. I was really struggling with things that weren't good for me. And it was leading to me feeling really depressed. But I heard about Jesus, and I trusted in him, and he gave me forgiveness, and I found new freedom in my life. Do you have a story like that? Super, super simple. Super, super simple. So what I'm going to ask you to do is just to spend like two minutes just thinking about this for a second. Two minutes thinking about what would you say? What would these two words be for you? What would these two words be for you?
Okay. But what are the two words that describe your life after coming to faith in Jesus? And I realize we all raise our hands and here most of us grew up in the church. But I think what's true for most of us is that we've also had times where we've really dedicated our all to Jesus. Right? Like maybe you believe from a young age that it probably wasn't until later on where life started getting a little hard, you struggled with some things, that you actually said, okay, Jesus, I understand that. This is what my all-in moment was. What was that? What happened there? What did Jesus do? Take just a second and maybe come up with those Anybody be willing to share their 15-second testimony that they just came up with just now? Ethan? Might as well. Okay, stand up. Alrighty. Fair enough. Yeah. So there was a time in my life where I struggled with depression and had lost my meaning in life, um, despite having known God. But through his faithfulness to me, I was able to find purpose and to fully cement my faith in him and then the ask <laughs> and the ask is so simple it's do you have a story like that right you're not asking them to tell everything but it's just a simple window into an opportunity for you to do that okay so if we had time i would ask you all to just partner up and share with your neighbor like what your 15 second testimony is and we can each share those things that we have a, a sense as to, wow, this is like what it looks like for me to simply start sharing my faith in a really simple way. But do you see how simple that tool is? And you can just literally say, hey, you have a story like that? Did that ever happen to you? Did anything like that happen in your life? Right? These are just sample words for you. Okay. Now I want to give you your next tool. All right? So the next tool, and I'm going to try and draw this, but again, I am not an artist at all, so Grace or somebody else should probably be up here drawing this, but I want to show you that you can do this too, even if you suck at art like I do, okay? This tool is called the Three Circles. Okay. And this is simply a way for you to start to share the gospel with people. Okay? So, if I'm talking with somebody, I can easily grab a piece of paper, a napkin, something like that, and talk about this. I don't know if you guys have noticed, but our world is a little bit broken. Right? Are you guys not able to see all the way down at the bottom there? Okay, then I'm going to erase this and I'll write it up top. Like they feel like they should be. Like, um, anybody notice the political divisiveness in our country right now, in our world? Anybody notice that like uh, people can't seem to get along real well? That there's like a lot of abuse that happens in our world. That there's like child starvation and hunger throughout our world. That like 
uh, more people than ever struggle with anxiety and depression as feel like that. You notice that in our world, right? That's because our world is broken. And so this is a representative of our world, right? So again, my bad circle earth, right? But what happens is because our world's broken, we start trying to fix ourselves, okay? So often what we try and do is we try and fix ourselves by being successful, right? And we try to make money and we try and find a way to stabilize ourselves. And we think that if I make enough money, if I have a good enough career, then life's gonna be good. And then we also sometimes will turn to ourselves. Like we're like, man, if I could just be the best version of me possible, then everything would be good. Like if I worked out enough, then I could just be ripped and have a 12 pack and I would feel so good about myself, right? And, um, but what happens is that doesn't typically work. This is a bad drawing of somebody with muscles, maybe. Okay. And uh, then if that doesn't work, then sometimes we find, try and find success and value and hope in relationships with other people, right? And you don't have to write all these words. But what we find is that that doesn't often work. What we realize is no matter what we do, we're still stuck in this world with brokenness, right? Why is that? Well, that's because the world is not the way that it's meant to be. See, in the beginning, God, who's a loving God, created the world, he created Adam, he created Eve, and things were perfect and right. God gave them everything they needed but told them one thing, don't eat of this one tree. He had to give them the freedom to choose to follow him, to be in relationship with him, or not. And what they chose to do was to disobey. And what happened there is that brought in sin and brokenness in relationship to our world. And this is the world that we find ourselves in. But all along, God had a plan to God did is he came down from heaven, sent Jesus, his son, to die on the cross for you and I, to pay the price of our sin. Then he raised Jesus up to new life. And what he offers us is that if we would simply turn from our brokenness and repent and follow him, make him the king of our life, then he will forgive us and restore our relationship with him. That's the message of the gospel. Have you ever done that? Have you ever turned from your brokenness and sin and repented and made Jesus the king of your life? If so, then you've found the starting of that reconciliation, that restoration process. This three circles is a super simple way for you to be able to think about and to share the gospel with people around you. I've used this a bunch of times. It's, you can write it on a napkin in a restaurant really easily, and you can fill in whatever you want in this brokenness, whatever is broken that you see in the world right now for you, whatever those areas are where you know things aren't right. Maybe you know the person really well and talk about their areas where they feel brokenness. 
but this super simple area of just saying this is what this process looks like. Does that make sense? Super simple. Okay, so we've talked about why we should evangelize because we've been commanded to it because it's part of our identity. As new creations, we're ambassadors. We've talked about who we should evangelize to. And we started to talk about two different ways that you could start that process. Now we need to think about when should we do this. And honestly, none of what I've said before this moment matters if we don't do this part. Could somebody turn to Matthew chapter 7 in their Bible? And we're going to look at verses 24 through 25. Or 24 through 27. Anybody willing to read that passage? Linda, will you do that? Thank you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 25. And then read 26 and 27. Sorry. I'll read it. Maybe I missed that. Okay. Yes, 26, 27. So, and they said, anyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. So what we see in this passage, Jesus is speaking, he's teaching, he's been equipping people, talking to them about what it means to follow him, and he gives us this juxtaposition of two choices. We could be wise, or we could be unwise. Okay? I want you to write that on your paper. And what we see in these two illustrations that Jesus gave is that the wise person heard, you know what? The unwise person also heard what Jesus had to say. Right? But what was the difference between the wise person and the unwise person? Everyone who hears the words of mine, what'd you say? Yes. The wise person obeyed. Thank you, Barry. And the unwise person did not obey. And this is where we get that statistic of 95% of Christians don't actually make another disciple. Don't actually share their faith. Many of us have a tendency to fall into this unwise category. That we hear the words of Jesus, but we do not actually obey them. So what does it take for us actually to obey what Jesus has commanded us to do and to live that out? Here's where we're going to just be really simple and really practical. We're going to set some goals. Okay? So I want you to write underneath here, we're going to write four goals. And I'm giving you homework. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry, as I say. Okay. So the first one, the first goal is to pray 
for your Oikos man. And then I want you to set a time and a day. What time, what day? Like maybe this is every morning at 7. You've got time to pray for the people and the names that were on your Oikos map. And it's simple as saying, God, would you give me an opportunity to share the gospel for this person? Could they come to faith in you? If we all started praying for those names, there was, what, 18 names on my list? I don't know how many of you guys there are in here tonight. If there was all 12 to 15 to 20 names on that list. How many more people we'd be praying that God would give us the opportunity to share the gospel for? How powerful could that be? The second goal is to share the gospel. And then I want you to write under a line a name and a time. Okay? If you were to start thinking, and I'll give you a minute and a few minutes to think about this. Of those people on your Oikos map, is there somebody on there that you know is ready to hear the gospel? Maybe you can start thinking about your 15-second testimony and work to bring that up. Like, Stephen, my neighbor, right now, his wife's been going through cancer. We've been talking about hard times. And I can easily say to him, hey, Stephen, I've been through some hard times. There was a time in my life where I was really struggling with these things. And I found faith in Jesus. And this is what I feel like now. Do you have a story like that? And let him just open up and see what God does, right? So who could that be for you? Third, this one is to train. And what I just talked to you was what we call 411, okay? So it's four questions on one sheet of paper in less than an hour. 411, okay? Who do you know in your life that's a Christian that you could train how to do this? And when would you do that? Maybe it's a friend who wasn't here tonight. I'm sorry, it's getting low. And my handwriting's probably getting progressively worse as it's going downhill over here. Uh, so, train 411. Simple. Can you take this sheet of paper that you did, super easy, and could you walk somebody else through this? And this is so simple that I guarantee all of you guys could do this really easily. Who else could you train how to be a better evangelist after this week? And the last one, that's number four, and sorry for those of you in the back, is simply continue or start to obey Christ. Okay? And that could be on a regular basis. Like, what does that look like for you? Do you have a time where you're reading the scriptures, where you're studying God's word? If you need a place to start, there's a really great resource on, I think it's obeychrist.com. And um, it opens up a document which teaches you how to train 411 and walks you through the commands of Jesus, the literal times where Jesus said, do this thing. And it's a really simple, easy study. For you to start doing on your own or for you to take somebody else through. Does that make sense? What I'm going to ask you to do is just to take a minute and close your eyes. 
at the start of it, and then just pray, God, how would you help me to fill out these goals? Okay? And then I'm going to close us in prayer in just a second. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would bring conviction to our bones. And God, that uh, all of us in here now are accountable for what you have called us to. We are all accountable to be wise with what you have told us. We have a choice as to whether or not we are going to obey or disobey, whether or not we're going to be wise or unwise. God, I pray that you would create a burden in our heart for those who are close to us and far from you, Jesus, the people in our Oikos map. God, I pray that those names would not be able to leave our hearts and our minds. God, that if we have chosen to follow you, we would desperately want that for others as well. So, God, I pray for just an increased boldness to come from this group, Lord. That many people would come to faith because of those sons and daughters sitting in this room right now. Jesus. God, may we not be part of the statistic that does not pass on our faith. Um, May we be faithful for what you've given us. God, I ask you for that. May we be faithful people to you, Jesus. May we be good ambassadors. Thank you for tonight. Thank you for your word and your grace in our lives, God. May we always be grateful for you. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.